You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Okay, and we're live, and welcome to another edition of the ProcureTech Podcast and our special live edition of the ProcureTech Pub, where we have a pub-like conversation with an industry expert that we do as a live stream, and then we package it a couple of weeks later and publish it as a podcast. And I'm joined today by one of the co-authors of a new book that is fresh off the presses and just about to launch. In fact, probably will be launched by the time this goes live as a podcast. So welcome to the show, Dr. Wolfgang Schnellbecher from BCG. Hello, Wolfgang. Hello, James. Thank you for this very original pronunciation of my German name. Glad to be here. I lived in Germany for 12 years, so <laughs> my German's okay. Give me French and I struggle, but Germans, uh, I'm pretty good with German. Okay. So yeah, I think we're going to have a really interesting discussion about this today because you guys definitely speak my language with uh, with what you've with what you've put together in your new book, and it's something that always really astounds me that you know companies don't really see this opportunity. So, just give us a quick whistle stop tour of your background and some of the industries that you that you've typically consulted in over the years, and then we'll we'll dive into the topic of you know, how can we ensure that procurement gets the necessary investment and recognition and partnership from our organizations? And, uh, and yeah, how can technology help to drive that? Very happy to do so. So my name is Wolfgang Schnellbecher. As you can hear by that name, as we already discussed, and as you can hear by my accent, I'm from Germany. And I'm actually leading the topic of procurement for BCG in Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and South America. In that, I focus quite heavily on procurement transformations across industries. I would say one third in the automotive industry and two thirds really expand across different industries and industry types. In that, I take particular fun in enabling procurement through stronger technologies and in expanding the mandate of procurement for a wider value generation. And I think expanding the mandate of procurement for wider value generation then really comes down to do we have a sponsor at the most senior level? And you know, how do we then get the necessary investments into things like technology uh, and people and training and to ensure that we have both the right tech stack and the right capabilities? So let's take this then, then down to the very beginning. What are the biggest mistakes that, that you typically see when it comes to how organizations think of or how they manage their procurement teams internally? Yes. Interesting enough, many people, many companies make the biggest mistake. It starts there. 50, 60, 70% at the minimum of a company's overall budget is managed through suppliers by procurement. Oftentimes, it goes even higher. Now, when you look at how much time people spend, CEOs spend thinking about procurement and suppliers, you'd be surprised. 1% of their daytime, which is around seven minutes. So, by default, there's by far not enough focus on procurement, on suppliers, 
while there's such, such big potential when you look at the overall spend numbers. And interestingly enough, not only this plays a core role when you look at how to optimize costs, this also plays a very, very significant role when you look at the value dimensions such as innovation and sustainability. So you say that 50 to 60% of a company's revenue is spent with external suppliers. So why doesn't procurement get that same level of attention as sales then? It seems like an obvious question, yet we don't, do we? We, it's still, we still seem to be seen as... Uh, as the ugly stepchild a lot of the time. You know what, James? To me, it's equally been an enigma. We've been thinking about this continuously. It's so obvious. Everything is out there in the supply chain. Great innovation, sustainability, quality, speed, the prevention of risk, and of course, the cost competitiveness. And then it's a little time. And we've been talking about this as the authors. And to us, the solution lies in legacy. Typically, CEOs come from the marketing function, they come from the engineering function, and they can sometimes even come from finance. Hardly, hardly, hardly a CEO comes from procurement. Now, it goes even deeper. When you look at where did people study, if you look at the big universities, oftentimes there's not a procurement share. Oftentimes, good professors don't become procurement professors. So it's a legacy thing but it for sure needs to change. And there are great examples for the opposite. Just to give you one, a company who gained most value in the last years is Apple. And Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, actually has been the CPO head of supply chain before. But they've been always thinking in profit from the source. They've been always putting procurement at the core. And by that, they were gaining great, great value and great, great traction. So that's a really valid point, actually. And I didn't necessarily think of that from an academic perspective. But, you know, certainly there are very, very few chief procurement officers that, that become CEOs. So I guess the obvious question is then, and I think I know the answer, do we need to get the CEO then on board to ensure that the company and the organization in general stops seeing procurement as being an administrative or a back office or a compliance function and starts to see us more as a strategic partner? Or, or, do, or do you think it's just more simple that procurement just needs a bigger training budget and more investment into technology? Well, it for sure won't be simple. And many things will need to come together. It will start with, of course, a structural mandate. Early involvement of procurement more powerful involvement of procurement and just being there when concepts are done, when new things are developed. Just to give you one example. So if you just account for an engineering heavy company, how many engineers do you have? You likely will have a significant number. But if you compare it to only the engineers at your top 10 suppliers, it's going to be by far larger. If you compare it to the engineering of all your suppliers, super outnumbered. And if you compare it to the engineering, of all the companies out there who might help you with great ideas, who maybe not even your suppliers yet, you really see the difference. Now, why you invest so little people in procurement so late in the process when you can have great, great ideas flowing in from these engineers? So we need to have procurement earlier on in. And also your second point is super valid. We need to train our procurement people better. They need to be much closer to the product. If we're having somebody buying steel, ideally it's people who have been working in a steel mill before. If we're having people working in logistics and buying logistics, they should be coming from the industry. They should have some industry experience. We train people better, 
I think that's it's a controversial point, but it's a it's it's a very good discussion topic because a lot of these large corporate organizations typically move their procurement people around in roles every every sort of two or three years just to I guess part of the reason is to make sure that people get exposure to different categories and areas of spend and also historically, I guess, so as they didn't get too close to suppliers as well. So you're almost saying the complete opposite of that and the procurement experience in and of itself isn't necessarily as important as deep category expertise in the specific area of spend that they're purchasing. Did did I understand that correctly? I say procurement people need to have the technical expertise in what they're buying. I say procurement people need to have the expertise to trigger ideas from suppliers. I say procurement people need to much stronger align ideas coming from the outside and from the inside of a company flowing greatly together. And you know what? Typically, they can do that. Typically, the procurement people really think deeply into the categories they're buying. But what's interesting is they're not hurt in the organization. They're too late in the process. People only expect from them a cost focus. So if we give them the mandate, if we create a great, great momentum for these people to speak up more, then we have a positive development. And Apple is a great example. I mean, Apple is almost producing nothing. It's all coming from their supply chain. But since everybody more or less is focused on what the suppliers are producing, it's great how to guide them. And just let me give you another example. When we had the biggest challenge of the last years for our planet, the global pandemic, it was procurement in the end who solved it. As you know, in the end, the treatments were done by small agile suppliers like a BioNTech, right? It was not Pfizer developing it themselves. They were looking who's the most innovative company out there. And they found them in some small town somewhere in the middle of Germany in Mainz and said, okay, well, we need to just trigger the innovations from this supplier in order to get the right things. Which is all well and good in theory. But then if going back to procurement being an administrative function or historically, you know, one of the reasons that ultimately I left corporate or one of the push factors was that I often felt like a very well-paid admin assistant as a, as a category manager because I was getting dragged into all of this shit, for want of a better word, that, that shouldn't really be my job. And I think part of that was poor data, lack of investment in technology, lack of capabilities, lack of understanding of what procurement does. Don't we need to fix all of that first? Well, we need to fix it at the same time. The challenge just is so big and the opportunities out there are so massive. We need to do things in parallel. Maybe let me briefly talk about technology, what's all possible. So right now we have artificial intelligence who can help us in all the value dimensions I just explained. Savings, innovation, sustainability, quality, speed, the prevention of risk. Sustainability, for example, we have artificial intelligence-based algorithms who tell us exactly which suppliers might have the highest risk of a human rights violation across a 50, 100,000 supplier portfolio, taking savings. We have artificial intelligence who can tell us exactly how we should negotiate in a certain situation. And to me, these things go synchrony. To me, if we are asking for a stronger mandate for an early involvement, for more powerful decision rights, then of course it's great to accompany that with great capabilities and tools. If we only bring in the capabilities and tools and not ask for the mandate, we'll not be as powerful. If we only ask for the mandate and we don't bring these powerful tools and capabilities, we will for sure 
not be making the great impact we could be making. And we, people will feel, okay, you're missing out something. So to me, these things really need to go hand in hand through a jointly powerful approach. And you mentioned the, the word going bionic or the, the phrase going bionic in, in, in your book about how you mix human ingenuity and, and the technical piece and mash that together. And I guess that, that really speaks to that, doesn't it? So could you walk us maybe through how you've seen a successful change management process to capture all of that together and the different phases that you see it in organizations where it's worked and, and what they've had to do in terms of the mandate? I love the question. So let me talk to you about one German automotive OEM and about their indirect procurement function. So we were starting to work with them a few years ago, and the indirect procurement function at that OEM was not the place to be. The indirect procurement function... It rarely is. <laughs> People were saying, every day I spend here is a lost day. They were having a very hard time to go to strong career pathways outside of that function. And it felt in the overall orchestra of different company parts and of different company functions as the last point um, from which one you can make really powerful decisions towards the company. And in the end, the two things we just discussed happened in parallel. There was a strong roadmap laid out on what are the mandate requests we're putting, for example, being very early on involved in the IT sourcing already when the software is sort of, yeah, to great, great enablement through capabilities. For example, there was a new tool introduced called the technology convention. So procurement invited many suppliers, for example, from the IT space on what they can do. And then the engineering function, the IT function, they saw all these suppliers and they saw the different solutions very much earlier, not after something already is designed, but they could see the help these companies can bring global design. So this was very, very powerful and very much appreciated. And the same happened on the technology side. So we were great, great AI-based solutions to this, and we were making powerful statements with these AI-based solutions in order to showcase these guys have more power and more mandate, but they bring the AI to it. They bring now the powerful cases to it. They can showcase to it in articles and brochures how much they've developed in their overall capabilities. So I said, one supports the other. The mandate at the one time, and then the capability and tool ramp up at the other side. So let's go just back a, a, a second. I, I'm following what you're saying, but what was the process for them to get that mandate? How, how did you convince the CEO in that organization to, to give them that mandate and the necessary tech investment? Yes. So we need to come from the value. We explain procurement as the secret source to CEO happiness. You could also call it the secret weapon to leapfrog competition. If CEOs manage procurement right, they can have whatever they need for their overall company strategy. They can double their savings and by that significantly improve their cost position. They can double their quality, their speed, their innovation. They can double their sustainability. They can halve their risk. And it is possible if you leverage the army of engineers out there at your suppliers. It is possible when you leverage the big spend you have at suppliers and you write with the right approach and cost out conventions when it comes to savings. It's possible when you're closer to your suppliers, halfening your risk. Everybody's complaining about supply shortages. It does, doesn't surprise me. If a CEO only spends 7%, seven minutes of time thinking about suppliers seven minutes a day, of course, it's very hard to secure supply. But if you're doing this right, if you personally invest 
as a CEO with your time, if you invest your company's budget in procurement and invest into the capabilities, technologies that you just outlined, then the positive result of it is so much more massive than what you would invest into other functions. It just play, plays a core role. Yeah, I often view it a, a little bit like a, a leaking bucket or, or a tire with a puncture where you know sales or revenue is the water that's pouring in and then you know the lack of the lack of effective supplier management both on cost and on performance is uh, is usually then the water that that seeps out through the holes do you think that's a good analogy that's a great analogy that's a great analogy enough both also thinking about something similar right we just lose too much on the way yeah that's a great analogy and to me it's even we can make a complete water storm for us yeah we not even have access yeah this big amount out there, which is at the suppliers, and it lies there untapped for many, many CEOs. And if you do it like Tim Cook, then you will actually get it. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. So it's it's obviously easier to convince a CEO when you've got BCG standing behind your 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 argument. But let's let's assume that every, everyone that's going to be reading your book won't necessarily be in a position to to bring in to bring in BCG or any sort of major consultancy yeah. for that matter to to help with the business case. So could you share maybe a couple of tips that that a, a chief procurement officer or a head of procurement could could use as a as a case to 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 argue for the investment with their CFO or with their CEO. Yeah, I have three tips. Number one, of course, let's pick the value the CEO cares about most. Oftentimes, I see CPOs only arguing with cost, while maybe the CEO is thinking about sustainability, innovation, or other things. And we as procurement oftentimes are too far from the CEO thoughts. We blame a bit the CEO. You don't think about us. But we equally need to yeah. think about him or her. And we then need to go there, okay, and say, hey, here are some thoughts we've been putting together to achieve your company ambition, for example, when it comes to innovation. Here's how we bring in suppliers. Mm-hmm. Number two, well, quite obviously, we need to make it tangible. And things get more tangible when you see them live in an event. So the technology convention I just laid out, that is something quite powerful. We were putting together when we brought in many, many we also at one time when we brought in many suppliers at the same time and they then said okay we have some great examples here we have some great views here and if the CEO only walks in 15 minutes and there's a whole technology arena there many suppliers introducing something people see that 
that does something to the company. They see the procurement differently. And number three, well, as a CPO, just reach out more correctly to your CEO. Seek an office close to your CEO. Seek overall events for your CEO is to be there. Typically, we as CEOs, we shy away from the CEO typically is. We just need to be closer. And if we're going to create this mix to combine the virtues of human creativity with the digital technology, one of the common myths that's out there, and I've spoken a lot about this on the podcast in the past, that is that robots are going to come and take our jobs. In reality, you know, I've spoken to AI experts on the show, and that's, that's just not true. But I do think at the same time that certain roles or, or certain mindsets in procurement will have to be replaced to be able to get the most out of this tech and, and enable a, a, a sufficient return on investment. You know, if you go back to the whole, if you put garbage in, you get garbage out, especially with, with the challenge that procurement has around material master and vendor master data. Talk to me a little bit about how you think a procurement team in the future will need to look to get that magic mix of leveraging the tech, but also having you know, the emotional intelligence and the critical analysis skills that, that only a human can have. Yeah, well... The future can be bright if we make it bright. You're completely right. There will be jobs and job profiles which rather will be reduced by more seamless system integration and by just bots taking over. Because if you think about maybe you have 100 people procurement function, around 50, 60 of them spend a good portion of their day with rather redundant tasks. PR to PO processing, rather straightforward follow-ups with supplier requests, rather straightforward follow-ups with requests coming from your sites. This is typical. And why should we not bring that into systems? Because the tasks themselves are not so value generating. At the same time, we've got many new tasks coming up and we should be spending more focus on this. If we as procurement get more active early in the process, if we as procurement get a wider value mandate to trigger smart ideas from suppliers, to trigger sustainability, etc., there's enough jobs to do there in alignment, in creativity workshops, in translation activities from the outside to the inside, in searching, in discussing, in finding out something on a global scale, in the end, in bringing the world closer together. Now, there's one more good news on the technology side. So we'll be having technology to reduce the redundant tasks and the straightforward tasks. At the same time, we are getting technology that's truly helping us to make the better choices on the strategic tasks. So for example, when we're finding the most innovative supplier, as I just laid out, we'll have technology that's helping us exactly on that. For example, we'll be having technology to find out where do we get the best quality from. Technology steering us how to incentivize suppliers to give me the best idea. AI can steer us in our strategic tasks, not by becoming our boss, but by becoming a smart advisee a coach, a friend to just enrich our days in idea generation. So it's almost like if we're going to succeed, we need to have the technology that's going to take away a lot of these transactional tasks because the deluge of requirements that are coming towards us now, particularly on things like risk management, given the current state of the world and, and also the push for more transparency on, on ESG, especially in larger corporations, if that work does fall on procurement, then a lot of the day-to-day -day tasks that get dumped on our desk are either going to have to be 
I'm going to use another one of my favorite phrases here, but eliminated, delegated, or automated. Yes, because like if, you look at, if you look at the effective hourly rate of a, of, of a strategic procurement professional, they shouldn't be doing a lot of these tasks that, that you could just hire an admin assistant to do a lot of them for. And I think that's one of the things that always used to bug me that you know, sales still has these admin and support functions, but certainly in, procure, in procurement, especially in automotive. I worked many years in automotive as well, just to go back to your example. After 2008, 2009, that big recession, a lot of those roles were just were just wiped out. So is that the first frontier in terms of a company that's new to digital transformation? Should they go about eliminating or automating those transactional roles first before they try and tackle the, the, more, the more sexy stuff around risk management and SRM? Yeah, yeah. Again, I think the story is most powerful if it's combined. So if you ask procurement people, what do you feel? What's your most desired thing? They will, of course, say, well, we would like to get rid of some redundant tasks. At the same time, this brings up the fear maybe of drop losses. So we need to excite first. We need to say, yes, we will take redundant tasks from you because your time is too valuable for this. And there's great technology out there. At the same time, we will have to say, We'll have great technology that is better guiding us as buyers. Artificial intelligence-based negotiation steering. Artificial intelligence-based risk steering, as you just laid out. We'll have great tools and strong stuff. And then also on the operational side, taking off these operational tasks from the different buyers. This together is a powerful mix. You will be having more time and you'll be having the powerful tools that help you to spend this more time right. That's exactly where we need to come from. I think it's fair to say with the tech that's out there now, a lot of the more traditional legacy sort of source to pay suites that are out there, they don't do a lot of the things that we're going to need to do more effectively going forward. So if we look more to now now around risk management and, and crisis avoidance or crisis management and living in the in the VUCA world that's likely going to continue for the foreseeable future. What ways do you see, and, and I'm talking both from a tech and from a wider strategy perspective here, what ways do you see that companies can can reduce or or even eliminate in some cases the risks that they would otherwise face in this environment? Yeah. A core topic right now for all procurement companies. In fact, I don't know a single procurement company not building up a separate risk capability, if not a separate risk function as we speak. Now, three things we need to be doing. Number one, we need to bring better transparency to this overall risk exposure. In the past, risk oftentimes purely meant financial risk. When will a supplier go bankrupt? Now we've seen, painfully seen, risk is something much wider. It starts with financial insecurity, which by default will become also bigger as the inflationary trend continues. But it goes on to disaster risks, pandemic risks, war risks. You just need to open the news and it's getting more. We need to have a comprehensive tracking on a category basis what might be happening out there. Just one example. When the Ukraine war was not starting, but you could see it already in the clouds, we saw producers, for example, of trucks already transferring their wire harness production out of Ukraine. You can see things at the horizon. And you know what, what triggered them? 
they saw that the Russians now take many blood conserves at the border. And they say, okay, this is something so costly. This is more than just a bluff. Now, at first, let's have a wider, more comprehensive view on the risks that might be happening there. Number two, you need to have a defined toolbox. In savings, we always have a toolbox, right? We have auctions, we have should costings, we have linear performance pricing. We need to have a more established lift toolbox on risks. What do we do in regards of dual sourcing? When do we do that? Of reconfiguring the supply chain, of upper inventory levels, prolonged contracts, etc. The buyers need to know their tools when it comes to risk management as they do it already with savings. And the third thing, again, we need to come closer to suppliers. Very often, if you have something which is rare and you need to distribute, which happens to suppliers, you give it to the people you know. We're so much coming from a world in procurement of treating people completely at arm's length. We're coming from a world where the salesperson always wants to sell something and we can, frankly speaking, always treat them somewhat from the distance. And this time is over. We need to understand, based on point one, where are the critical components And we need to have closer relationships with these suppliers, closer personal relationships. And this kits for procurement, but coming again back to the start of the conversation, this also hits for the CEO because the CEO in the end needs to manage these relationships, then they're the strongest. You think a lot of the talk about reshoring or nearshoring is a bit of a a gut reaction. I mean, do you think it with with the technology that's available and with the right investment? into the supplier relationships, do you still think it's possible to manage global uh, complex supply chains? Or or do you believe that it's an inevitability that we'll see uh, some degree of deglobalization over the coming 10 years? We are really seeing a degree of deglobalization, which will be happening. At the same time, I don't want to give it up. At the same time, the opportunities, always finding the best ideas on a global scale, finding the smartest semiconductor engineer, finding the smartest IT programmer, finding the smartest producer of a new technology we don't even know yet. We can't only rely on what's around our chimney tower. So yes, there is a strength. And yes, we need to be much more balanced on risk, much more as defense budgets go up, as trade wars go up. And we don't need to make the list much longer because everybody has all the associations in their head. We need to be more resilient but we should not give it up, which again comes back to having smart people assessing what might be happening, having smartly people really finding out where do I get the best innovative products from. If we don't do this, our companies will lose out. And frankly speaking, we will also lose out as a society because nearshoring for sure means giving up a lot of efficiencies. And and do you think, let's assume that someone has perfect knowledge of of what's out there in terms of tech. And I know in reality, nobody does. If they did, does the right tech exist in its current form to to manage all of what you just said? Or do you still think that we're some way off in terms of what the software can do? Well, the standard software can't do it. What we need is tailored solutions at individual companies. Standard software, which is out there on the market, it's very, very hard to be now working in the specific individual company context. What we need to have more is a really tailored solution that is in answering the specific questions we're having. Just to give you one example, we've been building an artificial intelligence-based algorithm to find out who's the next supplier to, to mistreat human rights. 
Well, you can put a lot of data points next to each other to answer that question. For example, in which country is the supplier? You have the Global Slavery Index. What crime rate is in the zip code area of that supplier? Because interesting enough, there's a high correlation. If you're in a zip code area with a high crime rate, you have a higher chance of human rights violations. How is the situation at the supplier overall? How in the category? Do you have a 4% margin in average, which you might have in logistics, or 30% in IT programming? How big is the company? Very small companies rarely mistreat human rights. Very big companies rarely do it. Medium companies do it. How about the legal situation of the supplier? Interesting enough, if you have a privately owned company, you have a higher probability, right? If you have this one strong owner and the company is in trouble, you might more pressure overall company atmospheres while the publicly owned company, right? I mean, if it goes bankrupt and managers look for a new job, they don't go into the risk. So you can have a great algorithm really tailored to what you know, tailored to also your individual situation, what you know about suppliers, and by that really pinpoint the best arguments and by that really pinpoint what to now do in a specific situation. But this is not a software you can buy. This is a software where you have to build something your own, based on your own data environment, based on your own setup, what you truly need. Yeah, and that goes back to the old adage of a company has to be a certain size to have the resources to, to be able to do that, for, for sure. But um, yeah, every company is unique and every company has its own challenges and it's difficult to get that as a software out of the box. I, I 100% get that. I, I do think, though, as well, that make versus buy isn't going to be a, a realistic option for for every company out there, especially if you look at more towards the mid-market. So that's the tech side. Let's look a little bit then around talent. What, what do you think needs to be done around talent if, if this global supply chain crisis shows no sign of abating and it looks like we're going to be living under this sort of environment for the foreseeable future? How can companies get one step ahead of, of their rivals in terms of, in, in terms of talent development and talent retention? What, what can we do to keep them? Because everyone always says there's a lack of talent. I'm maybe a bit more skeptical. I think maybe it's a lack of companies being prepared to pay the right salaries, but <laughs> interested to hear your thoughts. Well, as in many Western countries, we do have demographic development where you have this turnaround pyramid. So indeed, we face the challenge of, of finding young, young new people because every, every uh, year you have a, a bit less. Yeah, But still, you're right, right? I mean, you still can get sufficient talent out there. Um, Starting at the CEO again, well, if you make procurement not the centerpiece, if you depend so much on your supply chain risk, on your innovation of suppliers, on the cost of suppliers, and at the same time don't care about it, people feel it in your organization. People get exactly what your priority is and people get exactly what you talk about, where you focus your resources, etc. So first, CEOs need to get that right. And CPOs, need to, of course, anchor this with the CEO. CPOs need to go into that conversation, go into these harder discussions and say, okay, we need more attention from you in order to have this a strong career track. And then we need to advocate also procurement stronger, as we're frankly doing with this book. CPOs need to advocate not only to the CEO, but within the overall company. And this is a great, great career platform. We need to, of course, and foster whoever is making a career in there and strongly talk about that. And last but not least, we need to leverage this great technology investment in proactively talking about this. I've been talking, I've been working with a company who was producing motors for big ships. And in that company, sales and engineering have been the kings. But procurement was the first 
part of the organization to introduce artificial intelligence. And in fact, they were introducing the artificial intelligence-based negotiations. And the CPO was very, very proactively advocating this, making a video, <laughs> writing articles, making a tunnel with all buyers. And in that, it was clear to the company, well, this procurement is a place to be. If you really want to work with the latest technologies, you need to be going there. And if we do it like this, then we're also getting the strong talent. And exactly as you say, James, it's not so much about where to get the people from. Yeah, It's rather about if we are making a strong value proposition ourselves, then the people will come from themselves. And I love that example because I agree with you that I think procurement are dreadful communicators. And we often speak like technocrats, like finance or like lawyers sometimes. Not that I'm disparaging how they communicate, but it's a very different style to when you look at how departments like marketing communicate internally. And, and I think, yeah, if, if we did do things like blogs and videos and podcasts and, and short, snappy, well-presented uh, communications of what we're doing and how it benefits the business, the rest of the business, our stakeholders would understand and get what we do a lot better. So I love that example. Yes. Final question, Wolfgang, which is the easiest one. Um, just give everyone a quick overview of when the book comes out and where people can get it. And uh, if anyone would like to connect with you, where's the best place that they can find you? Yes. So the book will be published on June 21st. It was Harvard Business Review. And it's actually the first procurement book ever published there. So we were having seven publishers coming to us and wanting to publish this. And we thought, okay, we need a place which is most seen within the business. And we need a place which is giving a strong showcase. Now procurement has arrived at the C-suite. So it's published with Harvard Business. It's in every good bookshop. It's on Amazon. It's in every online um, dealership. You can always reach me via LinkedIn. You can reach any of the authors via LinkedIn. We are very, very happy for looking forward to engage with you all. And I really hope genuinely that it's a success, a success because I think getting this message out there and trying to turn the tide that the CEO needs to be involved in these discussions is, is definitely a message that, that, that we need to get across. So Wolfgang, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to talk to me. And, uh, and yeah, good luck with the book. So I hope Wolfgang and his co-author's new book will give you a little bit of food for thought and some ammunition to go and try and persuade your senior stakeholders to invest more in people and technology in your procurement function. Just a quick apology from my end, because we did have a few audio issues and some issues with background noise at the very beginning, a little bit because of noise insulation in the room I recorded that interview in. Hope it didn't detract too much from the experience of the podcast. And yeah, thank you again for listening to the show. If you like what we're doing here at the ProcureTech Podcast, then don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. And if you use Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate if you could go ahead and leave us a review. It helps us to reach more people and show up in their algorithm the more positive reviews that we get. Don't forget procurementsoftware.site is your one-stop shop to go and search and find the procurement tech that you're looking for based on your own unique criteria. And until next week, I will see you then. Take care. Bye for now and keep battling all those supply chain disruptions wherever you are in the world. See you again soon.